Welcome back to All Rings Considered. We are on episode 53, covering book 5, chapter 10, the last chapter of book 5. Uh, it's called The Black Gate Opens, and to summarize it real quick for everybody, Aragorn, Gandalf, Legolas, Gimli, Pippin, as well as a bunch of men from Rohan have marched to the Black Gate to call out Sauron and hopefully distract him so that Frodo can get to Mount Doom. When they get to the Black Gate, they meet up with the Mouth of Sauron, who is a messenger of Sauron. Uh, the Mouth of Sauron has a bunch of Frodo's stuff, like his mithril shirt and these kinds of things. And he shows it to them and says, if you want this prisoner to be given back to you alive, you need to retreat from here, give all this land to Sauron, and be his client states from here on out. Gandalf rejects this deal for obvious reasons. Uh, and... Then Sauron's armies pour out of the gate and begin attacking them. Our chapter ends with Pippin having taken down a big giant troll, and that troll seems to be like crushing him, and he's sort of fading away. He's losing consciousness, but he hears uh, somebody yelling, the eagles are coming, the eagles are coming, and, so, and Pippin isn't quite sure he's hearing that right because that's what happened in Bilbo's story in The Hobbit, and he thinks that can't be quite right. He, he's, he, he thinks he's about to just die and that this is the mm -hmm. end. And that's actually how the chapter ends, with Pippin thinking he's about to die. End chapter. We're moving on to book six. So. Yeah. Um, and not not uh, too soon, in my opinion, actually. Yeah. Eager eager to get back, actually. Uh, not a not a huge fan of, of this chapter. Um, okay. I don't think it's bad. I just... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think the part of the issue for me is there, there are some repeated themes that I, I... I wonder if it's too much, right? So, okay. Like a little too on the nose. The um, especially at the end with the troll. I mean, we're not there yet. I mean, we should start earlier. Well, I'm gonna say I want to put this. I like this chapter. Maybe for okay. the reasons you don't like it. I like the overt tackling of some of these themes. It's like it's, I don't know, closing the loop. Maybe it's just really just like this is the stamp on a lot of stuff that this book has been building toward and talking about. And I, there are two moments I think that bring this up. So early in the chapter. Mary is watching everybody march off to the Black Gate. Mary can't go because he's hurt, right? So he's watching everybody else leave, and he's with Baragon's son. Now, Baragon was a guard that uh, helped Pippin. He was a, a Gondorian guard who helped Pippin. He's got a little kid. That little kid helped Pippin, too. And uh, they're, they're watching them leave. And Mary feels really down about this because he feels like they are going to their death, and he's going to have to go to his death eventually, too. And he's just very somber about it. Uh, rightfully so too right like this whole plan is sort of predicated on we'll probably die doing this but at least it gives the world a chance baragon's son however says don't worry they're going to come back nobody can beat our heroes and of course he's a he's a child he just doesn't know any better but this it's come full circle because this whole book starts in the shire which is some kind of pseudo childhood state of things and Everyone's living in relatively idyllic paradise and is really naive about things and is naive about the outside world. And we're warned at the very beginning, way back in book one, we're warned by the elves that says you can fence yourselves in, but you can't forever fence yourselves out. And here is sort of the culmination of that. A hobbit standing, having to watch his friends go to almost certain death, and he recognizes that. And you get that immediate contrast with the child, little child right there, who doesn't understand mm -hmm. that. Um, that is interesting. Yeah, I, I'll see yeah. that. So it's this, it's the stamp. It's the stamp. I like it. I think it's just full circle. Here we are. The hobbits have grown up. Like this is this is the world. The Shire is not the world. That's not reality. This is reality. Maybe that's harsh. The Shire is a kind of reality. 
Yeah, because Tolkien doesn't have a completely negative view of the Shire. Not at all. Not at all. Absolutely. Right. The, Shire, the Shire is the thing you do need to be fighting for. You want to get to that back to that place in some way, right? Mm-hmm. But you just have to also acknowledge that the, that's it can't. It's not standing there on its own, and right. uh, there's other stuff going on. So I think that's what you see here. I think that's cool, and and you see it at the end. So Pippin again stamps this point that he is not in Bilbo's story. Like the events of the Hobbit, they're, it's so interesting how this book handles them. Right, that they did occur. But they also occurred in a story that the other hobbits had heard growing up. So mm-hmm. there's sort of two streams, two parallel streams here of like the hobbit events. There's the actual historical events that occurred. And then there's the interpretation of those events through the lens of the hobbits. And right. Hearing it as a fairy tale story where, oh, the eagles come and everything's okay. Um, Pippin here, again, we've come full circle. Pippin questions that. Uh, that can't happen, right? This is not a story uh <laughs> this is how things mm. have to be even though the eagles did come right like that is a historical fact too so there's that interesting tension uh there and it's a i think very deliberate tension tolkien's calling to to our attention uh tolkien is calling this tension to our attention mm. uh <laughs> that <laughs> can you tell i don't script these things uh <laughs> that um the real world so to speak is both not a story but also is like there are things that happen in stories that tolkien mm. i think is trying to say that do, do have reality in them right yeah so it's not, yeah there's something that is real about let's say uh, a miracle right the eagles exactly right and exactly. it's it's not just like yes and even from uh pippin's point of view it's a story right and it's a happy ending but there's something real about that too um yeah. even if it I mean, in this case, it wasn't just a story, but even if it were just a story, there's still something very real about it. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I don't. I think, and it's that to me is one of my favorite themes of the Lord of the Rings. All of this, all of this, the sort of meta intertextual dialogue it seems to have with the Hobbit, and that's coming out here. That I love that stuff. I love that question of the Shire as this sort of childlike reality and having to deal with. The fact that that's not going to be necessarily your lived experience, but then in some ways it is. There are things that are going to happen that because our lives do share something in common with myths, because myths are supposed to somehow reflect some greater truth. Um, mm-hmm. I am a sucker for this stuff. I love it. So I I love it here. I, I like this chapter quite a bit uh, for that reason. The, yeah, this this chapter to me is just the the climax of that theme in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of themes in Lord of the Rings, but I think that's one of the major ones. And so this chapter does serve fittingly both as a climax for book five but also i think for that particular theme in a lot of ways this is it kind of comes home here well then then let's do this let me pick your brain on a couple things i had marked off here it's interesting Mm -hmm. but i wasn't sure wasn't sure exactly what to make of it so there's this one i wanted to mention i love the crossroads scene um because i think maybe that's explained i actually did not mention my summary i was trying to go pretty quickly Um, um what's the crossroads scene yeah, so the crossroads, um, the army that Aragorn is leading uh, reaches the actual circle of trees crossroads that uh, Frodo and, and Sam had reached, where there is yeah. a um, a statue of a or like a, a king's head, a stone king's head that had been uh, toppled, and on the ground we from the previous chapter we'd seen it had a crown of uh, golden flowers, right? So the actual this scene they actually repair it. Um, yeah. So they, they replace this uh, statue's head. Now, I just, I like that for the aesthetic. I actually really like, I think the Crossroads is one of my favorite chapters, so I'm just yeah. glad to see it. Um, but the question it's, I had it is, for you... It's such a cool throwback, yeah. right? It's just a cool moment to see that mm-hmm. that one thing that Frodo and Sam saw is so representative of uh, 
that kind of Ozymandias stuff of mankind, right? The uh, yeah. sort of fading nature does get put back here um, and sort of rebuilt. Yeah, and, you know, it's actually a neat sort of writing device as well to have us see the things that have been... We've been separated for a while from Frodo's journey and having that juice little references to to what that journey was helps us get back into it before we go back to Frodo's Frodo's story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a nice way of actually saying, oh, here's let's ease back into Frodo and Sam's story um, to recall those events. Um, but the question I actually had for you was about Aragorn's men that he releases from duty. Yeah. Um, and and it actually, and so the text literally uses the word pity. Um, it says Aragorn looked at them and there was pity in his eyes rather than wrath. And I wasn't exactly sure what to make of this. So mm. they, uh, because there's some, it's important, right? So this is a, uh, it's a significant thing like this. Otherwise it would, there would serve no function, right? Just to say, well, and some people left, but I wasn't sure what yeah. to make of it. I wonder if you had any notes on it. I, 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 I jotted down Christ parallel. And oh, yeah. we've been talking about that, I know, a lot of these past few chapters. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's coming out here, this idea that uh, the way we ought to behave from sort of the Christian perspective, or at least Tolkien's Christ, Tolkien's interpretation of Christian perspectives, is that of just forgiveness and pity for, for people, right? He, he's, he's rejecting the sort of heroic ethos that on the surface level this book seems to be a part of, but actually it's not. There, there, there's not necessarily, they are not fighting for glory here, Right. That's the traditional heroic ethos. They are fighting to give Frodo that chance. It's actually a selfless sacrifice. The whole thing to me has a sort of Christian parallel, right? Like I do think Tolkien's Christianity comes out a lot the farther into the book you get. Uh, that gets clearer. And I think that's what's happening here with both the movements of the army, but even in that small moment, just to show that like not everyone's even able to do that. And that on one hand, yeah, they're not doing like the right thing entirely. They ought to be looked at with forgiveness uh, for that. I mean, who could? How, how can you do this right thing? This thing they're doing is so big and so monumental, like pure self-sacrifice like that, that how can you really hold it against them, at least on a sort of like human-to-human level? Right. So, yeah, that's my take. Cool. Um, let's see. Wait, before we get to the battle. To, um, to that oh, end, to that end, yeah. on, since I since gone ahead and brought up the Christian Christianity thing, so I was going to talk about this anyway. Uh, this whole thing is filled with the they're marching to the inevitable death, et cetera, et cetera. But we, as you know, informed readers, know that that's not going to happen. <laughs> they are uh, going to get out of this. And I just wanted to bring it back to the idea that myths express truths. So the sort of like Christ myth, by which I just mean the narrative. I'm not trying to insult anybody's religious faith here. I'm just trying to say the actual narrative of the events uh, mm-hmm. could be considered a myth. I don't, I, regardless whether you think it's it's actually happened or not um tolkien certainly did by the way so i'm not bashing him either by calling it a myth i think you would agree with me it's a myth but it's a myth then that like reflects how reality is a myth in the way right like that tolkien is trying to say he's both trying to give the example of how we need to be sacrifice self-sacrificial just like sort of the christian myth says christ is mm-hmm. um as well as the reality that uh you need some kind of miracle for it to work out as well. This is this plan will work in the end. Uh, it doesn't happen here in this chapter, but by the end of the whole Lord of the Rings, you see this plan works, but it's not actually through anything they really 
truly do either, as we'll see in a few chapters into book six. There's going to be something else that happens. But yeah, I just, I just, so I just think that's the confluence there of sort of the Christian myth coming in here, or Tolkien trying to create a sort of parallel Christian myth, the sort of myth that has the same ultimate message, uh, if you follow me. Um, right, yeah, it's like a um, not-through-works-alone uh, situation. Yeah, it, which, which uh, although it has that contradictory thing of, not contradictory, but sort of seemingly paradoxical thing of, like, you do have to still do the right thing. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Like, you have a way you ought to live and ought to act. In this case, you ought to self-sacrifice to the benefit of others. But in the end, it's actually out of, sort of, out of your control. Like, and you do need some greater power, which the learnings as a novel leaves ambiguous. Um, but the Christian myth would say is, you know, God or Christ uh, to, to, to make it work, make things happen. And that, that will happen, right? That, that, that does happen. Uh, maybe not when you expect it, but it, it does happen <laughs> at some point. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention about before we get maybe to the uh, the end is um, the uh, mouth of Sauron. Uh, yeah. Great, I actually love this part. Um, yeah, this that's, is that's fascinating. Um, I feel like this is one of the most just, memorable parts in the book. I feel like everybody always remembers this part really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that he. Uh, one thing I didn't notice before was that um, he calls the he's ho- uh, holding the tokens of Frodo, a dwarf quote. Um, elvish cloak blade of uh, downfallen west um, mm-hmm. and he says uh, do not start we know it well here are the marks of a conspiracy um, and I thought oh that's funny because it's uh, one of the chapter five of book one uh, was a conspiracy unmasked yeah. when it showed that Frodo actually had uh, companions that were willing to uh, mm-hmm. walk with him Yeah. Um, and here are tokens of that friendship right uh, that conspiracy yeah oh that's great yeah um i i liked very much the description that um the mouth of sauron his name uh his name is remembered in no tale for he himself had forgotten it mm-hmm. um he had lost his individuality he, he's yeah. so he's so ancient too did you pick up on the how he takes the archaic language to another level so the gondorians already are kind of archaic but the mouth of sauron has this line i just i underline this for how just how next level archaic it was he says uh, uh i have tokens that i was bidden to show to thee to thee in especial if thou shouldst dare to come and i'm not even reading that quite right but <laughs> it's like yeah. shouldst i mean it, it really is it's not just denethor with some these and thous it's like really old so he's re- he's that ancient and that old and and i think this scene is memorable to people for partly that reason this is kind of like ancient enemy he's almost like the closest thing to a stand-in or really the closest thing to like Sauron himself. He is a stand-in for Sauron for right. this text because we never actually will see the great enemy of the whole book. We never see him. It's fascinating he's a man too. Yeah. Because the closest thing we get to to Sauron is human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a human who's given up his, really given up his self. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess yeah. we also get that with the ring wraiths as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess though, but this guy's still so clearly still a human that... Uh, it stands out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting in this chapter that the we're not given much insight into what Aragorn and Gandalf are thinking with the mouth of Sauron's message. Gandalf, for a moment, does look defeated. Everyone notices he looks like he may have lost, but then he perks back up and he goes back. He goes through with the plan. Still, mm-hmm. it's striking me because so okay if they think Frodo's been captured, but this guy keeps referring to him as a spy. Is Sauron actually truly captured Frodo and had the ring, therefore, right? Like, with that implication, 
he wouldn't think he's a spy. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? Right. So like, I, I want, you got to wonder, like, do the characters, can Aragorn figure that out? Is he sitting there thinking something's up, right? For or him to think Frodo's a spy, yeah. he, this can't be right. Like something else must have happened here because he wouldn't have said that. He would have said, hey, I have the ring. <laughs> you sent somebody <laughs> with the and I have it, and I will now crush everything. And Sauron hadn't crushed it. He just got his butt kicked at the Battle of Pelennor Fields. So he's not crushing everything. He still has the manpower that he can, I guess, but it's not. he's not just running out with it. He's still even offering them a delusion of negotiation, which Gandalf does say, like, there's no way he'd keep that up. He, he would keep that bargain. But, but uh, yeah, it's interesting that I'm thinking that, but we get no insight into the characters to see if they also have recognized that sort of, that hole, right? That, right. Uh, they couldn't have then, actually taken him in the ring because that would then they would know. Right. There's that, and there's also um, like this isn't as uh, much evidence, but they also talk about just one person. So they're just talking about one spy, but Frodo had a companion as well. Well, were they? I mean, and so I, you th- I had a line here though that um, it's it's kind of ambiguous because when Pippin has like a cry of grief. The mouth of Sauron says, so you have yet another one of these imps with you. What use you find in them, I cannot guess. But to send them, emphasis mine here, but to send them as spies into Mordor is beyond even your accustomed folly. That's really ambiguous because on one level the them is just referring to the species. Right. But I couldn't, I was wondering too, is, does he mean he knows there were two of them? But as I we'll think, find out I in think, book six, yeah. I don't think he can, right? Like Sam does stay uh, sort of undetected, at least as a hobbit. I think the whole time. I guess we'll, we'll we can talk about it later, but uh, but yeah. So if they don't, if you do take it though as just a spy, Frodo, you got also one of the characters are realizing. Well, what about Sam? Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, there, there's some holes in the mouth of Sauron's argument here, and but we just we don't know. We're left in the sort of in the dark to just what everybody thinks about it. Um, Charlie, I have I, I'm reached the end of my notes, but I do have something special for you. Um, oh, okay. For this chapter, let's see. It is uh, fifteen craziest fan theories about the Lord of the Rings. Okay. Um, and some of these I thought you might want to know. Can you? You gotta send me this link. Let's 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 uh, look at this together. I gotta. Okay. Yeah. So I was trying to find uh, what chapter conspiracy on Mast was. Yeah. And this came up. So I thought maybe I'd share a few of these with you. Um, number oh fifteen. <laughs> the story. <laughs> Is an analog for World War II. Oh boy. <laughs> 13. Um, Grima Wormtongue has a ring of power. Okay. Also good. Number 10. Tom Bombadil is the Witch King. <laughs> I've heard that theory. That was put as a joke that was pretty <laughs> funny um, when people made it. Uh, I don't think this person realized it was a joke though. Uh, Gandalf is Eru Iluvatar, yeah, followed immediately by. Explicitly. You don't need to. <laughs> Gandalf isn't really a wizard? What is this? <laughs> Number seven, Gandalf isn't really a wizard. Wait, but except one, <laughs> this one says for that, it says Gandalf wasn't really a wizard at all, but was instead a high level fighter who simply knew how to use magic. So that's a wizard. <laughs> that's the definition of it, right? But, <laughs> but five, also, <laughs> Gollum ex- killed Frodo's parents. <laughs> um. <laughs> Okay. Uh, <laughs> number two, Mary actually killed the Witch King. <laughs> That's not even a crazy, like, this is. Uh, and then, of course, number one, Gandalf wanted to use the eagles all along. 
which is on theme for this oh, chapter. <laughs> so, um, perfect. That one I've heard too as the joke of right. He says, "Fly, you fools." Um, <laughs> which again is a funny joke when you hear it first time. Um, yeah, God. Okay, this is great. Thank you for that. Um, You're okay. Only thing I, I guess this is we're about done. Uh, so that's good. <laughs> Let's wrap up book five and get into book six. Um, couple things. One, um, just shout out to the chapter title here is pretty good. It's another example of that intratextual dialogue of uh, the chapter titles communicating because we've seen Frodo and Sam got there and it was the Black Gate is closed was the chapter title and now with the Black Gate is open. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's cool, I guess, kind of obvious. Um, and yeah, favorite line. Um, what do you have, Pep? Favorite line? Um, so I was torn between two, actually. So uh, I'll read them both quickly. Yeah. Um, one was about the um, the mouth of Sauron. The lieutenant of the Tower of Barad-dur he was, and his name is remembered in no tale, for he himself had forgotten it. And that's just feel that's so that's so sad. But at the same time, it's ominous and sad at the same time. Yeah. Right. So it's this mysterious figure, but also you can't help but feel uh, like that's it's kind of a tragedy, right? Um, and then I actually really liked the paragraph where Aragorn is uh, releasing the. Uh, soldiers who had couldn't stomach the uh, journey um and it said uh and to them mordor had been from childhood a name of evil and yet unreal a legend that had no part in their simple life and now they walked like men in a hideous dream made true and they understood not this war nor why fate should lead them to such a pass i think it's just good prose good lines yeah good writing um my favorite is last chapter of this whoa uh let me say that again my favorite is the last line of this chapter and also therefore of book five and i think it means a lot uh it says for one moment more pippin's thought hovered bilbo it said but no that came in his tale long long ago this is my tale and it is ended now goodbye and his thought fled far away and his eyes saw no more uh, it's referring again the context of hearing people shout the eagles are coming and this sort of thing. So uh, thematically, I think I explained it earlier in the episode, uh, but it's a powerful ending and it's a great mm-hmm. way to end book five and stamp that theme for us one more time. So yeah, well now we have come to the end of book five as well. We have. Let's talk about. Uh, we are getting very close to the end of this podcast, uh, which will be a very sad day for now. Book six is coming. Book six is a weird one. So everybody needs to just like strap in for some weirdness. I don't quite know how it's going to go for us, right? Because I think some of these chapters are, I don't know if uneventful is the right word, but we're going to get a few chapters or at least like chapter, I think it's chapter two. Yeah, chapter two, I remember, is kind of tough as far as like, it's just them walking for a lot of a lot of it. Um, oh, you mean the Lord of the Rings? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, we'll see how it goes. Well, and then, but book yeah. six is fascinating because it, like within the first three chapters of book six is when the actual major plot arc of this book is resolved. And then we still have a bunch of closing chapters to get through. So mm-hmm. it's going to be weird. I think we're going to see a lot of, it's my prediction, but I think we're going to see a lot of episodes where, you know, you and I sit here and are like, uh, well, there's not much to talk about in this one. Um, but then again, whenever we say that, we always end up coming up with a bunch of BS to say. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. It should be interesting. We'll see. Tune in. Tune <laughs> <Just> in. <laughs> it could be good. Whatever. Just keep listening please tune into our potentially <laughs> mediocre product uh <laughs> it would mean a lot so yeah uh next week then book six chapter one the tower of kirith uncle